Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Can you feel that spring's in the air? Right? I can see. I, I think our prophetic prayer person, Nat Finn's in sandals today, so I've decided that's prophetic, that we're walking into the new season. She's nodding her head. I don't know if she's regretting that decision. She's not. Come on, spring is coming. Uh, There's always excitement when you change seasons, right, in the natural. You get a whole new wardrobe. Isn't it exciting not to put, like, coats and jackets and all of that on? But God always does things in the spiritual too, I believe, as we change seasons. And uh, I'm excited for the word that he's going to bring today. So get ready. Uh, My daughter said to me this morning, she was surprised. She's like, oh, are you preaching today, Mum? And I had a laugh because I'm like, yeah, I'm not normally this relaxed in a preach week. Like yesterday was a really nice day. Um, So that's a good thing, hey? The Holy Spirit's got this one and we're just going to roll with it. So let's go, hey? We are in our Mark series. We're in our second section. Um, And we've called this one, When Tradition Becomes a Trap. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Because I'm a traditional girl. Like, I love my traditions. Ask Simon, when he married me, he married a whole bunch of traditions. And he comes from a family where they're just not really a thing. So, uh, you know, I love traditions and celebrations and birthdays and Christmas and Easter. And I just, I love, I love everything about it. I love traditions in church. I love traditions in faith. Like, I love traditions. So, I'm thinking about this, you know, when tradition becomes a trap... And uh, I was actually thinking about my journey in relationship with Jesus. And see, I had this tradition of coming to church instilled in me by my parents. I went to church every Sunday. So even when I moved out of home and went to uni, I kept going to church, even though I didn't really have like a personal relationship with Jesus. But it was just what you did on a Sunday. You went to church. And because I went to church, I actually then built my own relationship with Jesus. So that tradition was a really, really good tradition to have and it's part of my story with Jesus. But the issue, right, would have become if that tradition took the place of my salvation, right? If I'm relying on that tradition to be a Christian or to know God, that's when, don't lose the when, in the title. That's when tradition becomes a trap. And so sometimes we can be people that want to swing the pendulum, right? Pastor Nate spoke about that last week. Actually maturing in faith is able to hold things in tension. So I just want to encourage us as we're going into this, you know, series, this is not a thing of throwing every tradition out the window. Traditions are good, but when they block us, in our relationship with Jesus or seeing what God is doing, that's when they've become a trap, right? And that's when we need to adjust, maybe change our thinking, grow, be flexible. I love that word. Not very often. (laughs) Be flexible. I'm learning to be flexible. I'm learning to compromise. That's when traditions can become a trap. So let's just keep that in mind. And I think it's really important because that's what we're looking at, particularly in today's passage of scripture. We are going to see when there's this collision of the old thing with this new thing that God is doing. And because of that, there's a confrontation, right? It's a confrontation in traditions. And, uh, and we're going to learn today how to respond. 
That's what the purpose of today's passage. I believe that's what God's saying to us today through it. How do we respond when God is doing a new thing? Because how we respond is super, super critical. It actually determines whether we end up a part of it or whether we miss it. And if you would like to hear a story about how not to respond to a new thing, then let me fill you in on the wonderful dating world of Simon and Mel Ashley. You might look at an incredible couple with an incredible family. That so nearly didn't happen because we were so stuck in old ways of thinking and traditions that centred around who you're going to marry, right? So many of you were around, but some of you may not have been. We knew each other for a long time. We were really good friends. We served in a whole bunch of leadership together, but we just couldn't actually get together. And uh, that's obviously because of him. So I will just (laughs) fill you in on his flaws. No. (laughs) So he will willingly admit, he will willingly admit that I'm going to talk about me too. Don't worry. I'm just starting with him. All right. He will willingly admit that he was really stuck in this tradition that there was only one, one person for you. So you had to find the one. So because of that, really standoffish. Like you couldn't actually get to really know someone because it had to be the one. You had to make sure it was the one before you actually stepped into anything. So you're kind of deciding that you're going to marry this person before you even get to know them as such. And so that that was him over here. And then me on this other end, super romantic. I'm so romantic. You're meant to fall in love at first sight, right? You're meant to like, it's all just meant to click. And you're meant to be super compatible. Everything is meant to be the same. And not only that, but here's the really important thing. You have to have a calling like Pastor Nate and Rachel. They're called to the one thing. They're building the one thing because that's what God does in marriage. So how could we possibly get together because we both have massive calls on our life and they're totally different. So I'm stuck over here and he's stuck over there and our friends are all going crazy in the middle trying to invite us for dinner at each other's houses. And uh, Anyway, we got together in the end. Eventually, we obviously decided to respond to the new thing, then break up, then refine the new thing. (laughs) It's a happy story in the end. So anyway, maybe the additional thing today's message is you might pick up some dating advice. Um, So you can apply scripture in all areas, all right? But anyway, let's see if we can learn how to respond better when God's doing a new thing. All right, so we are going to read. You're going to be really confused when I start reading a passage about fasting. (laughs) Let me just say from the outset, I don't know if you're going to be disappointed or relieved. This is not actually a sermon about whether you should fast or not. Okay? It's not actually what we're going to be covering today. I'll explain that in a little bit. The title says that Jesus was questioned about fasting. We are reading from Mark 2, uh, verse 18 to 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, 
How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. You see, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. All right, so it's a question and answer passage. Should be super simple. They ask a question, Jesus gives an answer, except that the question isn't really the question and Jesus answers in these three cryptic parables, right? So that's what we're going to unpack today. And I actually wonder if you've considered the entirety of this scripture before. I'm going to hazard a guess that you've heard the two two, uh, things in verses 21 and 22. You've heard about the new cloth, old cloth. Have we got any sewers in the house? There's not as many hands. Hey, good on you. Come and teach my daughters. They want to sew and I don't know how to. But I am told, new cloth shrinks. We all know that when you bought a new top and you don't wash it correctly. And so if you sew it onto an old garment, obviously it's going to shrink and pull the stitching and make the hole worse. So not a good idea. And then I think we're really familiar with the wine and the wineskins one. Okay, we should be that. Yep, Pastors Nate and Rach are saying that because it's like the whole big part of our 2021 vision, right? Wine, wine skins. They didn't have bottles. They put it in leather pouches, which would get old and brittle. And so when you put new wine in it, the wine ferments and what happens? Explosion, right? It would burst. And part of our 2021 vision is that, hey, God is doing a new thing in our church, So we need to build some new wineskins, some new structures and methods and ways so that we can help facilitate this new thing that God is doing. And one of those things, I hope you remember, is this picture of a spearhead, right? Because key to that is that our church is not just a church. Our church, you know, it, it nourishes and it functions as this trunk and it impacts our community via these two like spearhead sides that we're in ocean, we're in the Victory Centre and together we are outworking this vision of bringing our hope, which is in Jesus, to the people, right? Because that's our mission. So it's all part together. It's like three entities in one. This was a really key part in bringing all of Victory in and, and helping us to see what it actually means to be C3 Victory. So my question is, when I'm reading this and having to preach it to you, It's okay, so why, God, are these parables here? What is its connection to the wedding picture? And why in an answer to a question about fasting? Now, I did tell you it's not about fasting, but if you're really interested in fasting, guess what? You can go to our website. There's this place called Next Steps. And whether you're growing in a Christian, you can go into foundations, or whether you just want to increase in your faith, go into grow, and in there you're going to find these seven awesome videos on the Christian essentials, and one of them is all about fasting. You should watch it, you can learn from it, it's from John Pierce, he is awesome, and you might find this whole new awesome tradition that you can add into your life and use it at the right time. 
All right, so that's my free, free advice. But what is it about this question? Why are they asking Jesus about fasting? I said that the question isn't really the question. And the reason is that this passage is actually more about the tradition of fasting, which for a first century Jew was something that they did to express sorrow and mourning and that they would believe would actually bring the kingdom of God faster. So the, what they're actually asking Jesus is in this space, and we're going to have a look at the context in a second, but in this space, why are you and your disciples not following the tradition that is really essential right now? Why are you not doing it? Do you not know our entire history, right? So if you flick back to Leviticus, which I know is a book that you read often... I just told my students who I'm teaching Old Testament to, you should read Leviticus and just develop a great appreciation for everything that Jesus did for us, right? So if you flick to Leviticus, you will see that God instituted fasting on what was called the Day of Atonement. And that was when all of Israel would be cleansed of all their sin before God. Like it was an incredibly significant day. And one thing that they would do on that day would fast. They'd fast because it was like an outward symbolic display of what was happening in their hearts, that they were repentant, that they were sorrowful before God because of their sin. It was a really, really significant uh, thing that they did. And it was something that they carried through into this time of Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, the good old Pharisees, they had taken this to the nth degree. So they were fasting every Monday, every Thursday, like 200 times a year, Less so about genuine repentance, more so about putting on a show of how amazing they were. But for an everyday Jew, they'd actually still use this tradition of fasting when they felt like they needed to express this sorrow or repentance. And so whilst we kind of know why the Pharisees are throwing this question at Jesus, right, Pastor Nate spoke last week, they're just out there. They just need another notch in their belt to be able to show, hey, this guy is dangerous, he's evil, he's a blasphemer, we need to take him out. So that's why they're asking. But what really got me in this passage is why are John the Baptist's disciples, that's who John's disciples are, John the Baptist, why are they asking the question? Because as far as I knew, they're on Team Jesus, right? They didn't mix with the Pharisees. That John the Baptist had some very not nice things to say about the Pharisees when they came out to watch what he was doing, baptising people. And so we kind of got to understand them. We've got to understand John's disciples. Why were they actually asking the question? If you go and read Matthew's Gospel, it actually says that it's them that are asking Jesus this question. That's the way that Matthew remembers it. And so we've got to think about these guys. They have been in the middle of an incredible move of God. John the Baptist, we read in Mark 1, he came preaching, hey, we've got to repent. The kingdom of God is coming. And it says the whole Judean countryside, like the whole, imagine all of Newcastle and the Hunter, Maitland, everywhere, around, right? The whole of Jerusalem is coming out. They're all coming down to the river, to the lake, to the ocean, wherever, and they're saying, what must I do to be saved? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, that's a move of God, right? And particularly when God had not spoken for 400 years. 
He had been silent to his people for 400 years. We complain when we don't hear from God for like a week or a month or we think six months is unbearable. But 400 years, they haven't actually heard from God. And then this happens, right? This is awesome. People are coming and John the Baptist's disciples know that Jesus is significant in this because John's told them that. So many times John said, you know, I'm just baptising you with water, but he's going to come and he's going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And uh, there were times when his disciples, John's, were going over to Jesus. And guess what John said? He's like, awesome. They should go over there. He is the bridegroom. I am just the bridegroom's friend. My job is just to prepare the way for him. So John the Baptist was constantly pointing to Jesus as being this significant person in the coming of the kingdom of God. And so there's this awesome move of God happening. But in the middle of that, John the Baptist gets put into prison. So he goes and calls out Herod for marrying his brother's wife. And John the Baptist is likely in prison at this moment. And so just think about it. This is John the Baptist's disciples. So Pastor Nate has to go to prison. And we're all, that's not prophetic. We're all here now. (laughs) We're all here. What would we do? We would look to whoever Pastor Nate has pointed to, right? Darren. (laughs) As that next leader. So they are looking to Jesus. And what do they see? He is in the middle of this crazy looking new thing, like nothing they can comprehend in their first century Judaistic minds, right? He is sitting there feasting with sinners. This is likely a continuation of the story that we just read last week, where he's sitting with all these tax collectors having a big feast. He is doing the exact opposite to everything they know because all the prophets, all the writings that they have from that whole time of Israel was that the prophets constantly called them to repentance. They didn't and so God left them. That's what they know. So if they want God to come back, don't you do the opposite, right? You repent, you get before your God, you tell him how sorry you are, you fast, you show this, you are genuine. I think they came to Jesus with a genuine question. Why aren't you doing this? You're the leader. You're the one who's meant to be leading us into this. Why aren't you doing this? And I think when we kind of get that question, I can relate a little bit to John's disciples. I don't know if you can, but I can. Because the new thing can be really confronting when it seems opposite to all the traditions, to all the religion that we know, to every way that God has moved in the past that worked. It can seem really, really confronting. Like I fully remember walking into um, Day Spring Church back when I was, I grew up very traditional, none of this spirit stuff. And I walked into Day Spring Church and it was weird. Like honestly, I saw expressions of the spirit that I did not understand. And in my very traditional upbringing, they looked irreverent. And I struggled with that. Because how can you do that? in front of a holy God. Like, what is that? I was actually talking to one of my students this week and she told me an amazing story about what's happening with her sister in Africa. 
And they also grew up in very traditional church. And a friend had started talking to her about the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And they're like, no, no, like that's not of God. That's what we know, that that's not of God. And anyway, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, her friend eventually said, look, would you just watch this Derek Prince video on being baptised in the Spirit? So she agreed. As she is watching the video, she is fully baptised in the Holy Spirit. Didn't ask for it, just happens. She gets like, she's alive. She is ringing her sister in Africa going, you have got to get baptised in the Holy Spirit. Sister's like, no way. No, 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 no. Can you guess where this is going? She goes, just watch the video. (laughs) Sends the video to her sister, gets fully baptised in the Holy Spirit watching the video. She gets her husband to watch the video. He gets fully baptised in the Holy Spirit watching the video. At this point, the other first sister back here, her husband goes, well, I better watch this video (laughs) because you're all getting baptised. Like, I just love the Holy Spirit. Who said you could be baptised in the Holy Spirit watching a video of a very old preacher? But do you know what's happened since then? Her sister in Africa, who is not a pastor, just goes around praying for people. And before she even touches them, they are baptised in the Holy Spirit. She has started baptising people with water. They are coming from everywhere to be saved because there's this move of the Holy Spirit that now she's had to join with like a church to set up a church and have a pastor. And like that just shouldn't happen. But it does. But initially, it's super confronting, right? It's just different. And so, what do we do, right? I'm just, I'm just filling you in. We are going to get confronted by some very new things in this church. Stuff's going to start happening here that you don't understand. I don't understand. We don't understand. Things are going to start happening in your own life that you don't understand. I guarantee you, you're going to be walking down the street and stuff's going to start happening and the Holy Spirit's going to start talking to you and you're not going to get it. And it's going to be confronting. What do we do? I feel like the Holy Spirit is giving us an insight today to go, hey, get ready because this is coming. What do you do? How do we respond? So what we need to do is just uncryptificate. I don't know if that's a word. (laughs) The three parables that Jesus speaks. So he starts with this wedding, right? How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with him? They cannot because he's there, right? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. Jesus is speaking right here to their religious traditions and he is saying, hey guys, Your traditions are blocking you from actually seeing the new thing, right? Our weddings totally pale in comparison to a Jewish wedding. They were seven days of festivity and you could only show joy if you, not you, someone died while a wedding seven-day thing was happening, you were not allowed to mourn for them until after the seven days. It was total joy, right? And it was the duty, like not just a nice suggestion, the duty of every single person to celebrate the bridegroom and the bride. Like that was your duty. That's what the whole thing was about. And so for God, for Jesus to use this story here is like the exact opposite of everything that they're actually asking him. Like it's the strongest opposites picture 
that he could use. That's why he used it, right? The strongest opposites picture to go, you guys are coming to God with this traditional expression of mourning. But guess what? God's doing a new thing. And what you actually should be coming with is complete and utter joy. Just lean into the joy. And why? Because I'm here. He is making another bold declaration that He is God. I am the bridegroom, right? Their Old Testament minds knows that God was the bridegroom and Israel was His bride. They didn't get it maybe in this moment, but He is saying, I'm Him. You guys are fasting and mourning and trying to bring God. And guess what? I'm already here in the room. Oh, I just go, I think we do this a lot, right? We go, gosh, I've got to do this to get God. I've got to do this to get God. I've got to do this to get God. And God's saying, no, I'm here. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. I'm doing a new thing. You just got to step into it with joy. Just follow Jesus. Isn't that what a disciple of Jesus does, right? We follow Jesus. Oh, getting worked up. I think Jesus is saying to them, the tradition that you have doesn't actually fit my new expression. So you've got to let go of that tradition. Not forever. Because he doesn't say never fast again. He actually says, no, there will come a time when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. And we know that actually relates to the crucifixion. Because it's a violent taking away in the language, right? He says, no, there's going to be a time when they're fasting. It's just not now. And what I love about this and what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to us is Jesus' response is not a condemnation for them. It is an invitation. It is an invitation for them to see that the very thing that they are looking for is right in front of them. And all they have to do is join it. Jesus is saying, you know, you guys are looking for the old thing. You, you want the temple to be restored. But I have this whole new plan where I'm going to have temples of the Holy Spirit in the midst of my people, like God's saving presence. This was so staggeringly different. I can kind of understand why they weren't getting it, right? But the problem is when we get confronted with something new, what we tend to do is judge it. Because we're confronted, because it's unknown, right? Because it's a bit scary or a bit wild. It doesn't fit our concepts. We judge it rather than join it. And what the Holy Spirit is saying to us is, hey, you know what? Don't sit back and wait and go, well, if there's some proof that God's actually in it, then I'll go all in. No, what Jesus is saying is, do you know what? If you know that I'm in it, then join it. Come and join it. Come and be with me because if I'm there, this is going to be a good thing. You're not going to have understood at all. That's what we see in this response of Jesus' disciples. We can learn from them. I guarantee they had no idea what was going on. They don't know that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to save them from their sins and is going to die on a cross and rise again. They don't know any of that at this point in time. They didn't even get it when He went to the cross, right? So we need to remember, they don't know. They don't understand it. They would have no idea why they are sharing a barbecue with these sinners, right? With these tax collectors and and who, who knows who was there? They don't know. But for them, Jesus was in the middle of it. And so because Jesus was there, they were there. 
They have the same traditions as John the Baptist's disciples, but they submitted their traditions to Jesus. They chose to lean in and follow Jesus. And I think the reason God then puts these next two parables in here is just to remind us that we can't contain God in our boxes, in our traditions, right, in the ways that He's worked before. Because when He comes and He moves, He always does it in this new way, right, that speaks directly into what is required at that moment. God knows how to reach our city. God knows what's happening in the hearts of mankind as they're out there right now. And He has a new way that the church is going to be the church, right? And as this new thing is released, our response as disciples, we have a choice. We either stand back in the crowd and we judge it and we wait to see some proof or we choose to actually join in. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth, right? Nobody puts wine. I went, okay, so if we had a modern day example, here's my one. Nobody puts new apps on an old iPad. I just gave two perfectly functioning iPads to Ush. They turn on, they turn off, they work, but they are completely useless because I cannot run a single program on it because the new programming of the new apps do not fit the old Right? So if Jesus was writing the Bible, I feel like that would be in there. And Jesus is talking absolutely about the Gospel here. So in this time, He's talking to them and He's saying, you cannot just go and sow my ministry onto like Mosaic law and fix what had happened. Right? You can't pour the new outpouring of the Holy Spirit into temples of bricks and stone because that's not my plan. Right? Jesus is absolutely. Just hear me now. Don't go from here and say, well, I'm going to follow every new wind of teaching that comes our way. No, no, I did not say that. (laughs) Jesus is the final revelation for salvation. Paul warns us not to get caught up in new waves of teaching that say anything else. So Jesus, final. He is our Saviour. But... God will absolutely work in new ways to see the fullness of His kingdom come, right? That's why we have community. Community helps test the new thing. You've got to trust community. You've got to trust your leaders that they're following Jesus. And so when they say, this is where we see Jesus, even if it's a bit confronting and it doesn't make sense, right? We respond. We choose to join Jesus in the middle because we trust Him. That's what we do when our traditions don't seem to fit this new thing that God's doing. When worship or even preaching or technology like broadcasting, when all these things look really different to what we know church to be, we just choose to lean in. Or what we do when we see the Holy Spirit moving in a new way. Or what about when you are in your workplace and you start to sense the Holy Spirit calling you to something? What about right now, if you have been sensing for a long time that the Holy Spirit is knocking, saying, hey, I want you to step into this new thing and it just doesn't fit your paradigm. That's the invitation to us today, right? And as soon as we begin to try and contain God in our traditions, we miss it. I don't want to miss it. Do you want to miss it? Like I believe being a Christian is 
the most craziest, radical, fun adventure that you could choose to live your life in. Yes, it's not safe, but that's what it is. It's not. It's not because we serve a living God who has an absolute plan to change this world and we get to be a part of that. And so I want to say, let's be like N.T. Wright. This is what he says. When God is doing new things, we should join the party. Not grumble because the new wine is threatening to burst our old bottles. So I feel like the Holy Spirit saying to us, I've got a party. I've absolutely got a party. It is not a mistake, right, that this Sunday service is called Party in Home, right? It should be a party. And it's going to be a party like you've never known. It's not like a party you throw probably at your home. The Holy Spirit has got a way to party that we have never experienced before that's going to flow out of this place in and through us as we go and be this spearhead, whether we are ministering into the Ush space, the Victory Centre space, and everywhere that we go as members of this church, right? The Holy Spirit has got this party. And if you need any more proof, look at my marriage to Simon. If you lean into the new thing, right? It's a very good thing. I'm really glad we finally got together. I think God is too. The new thing is always going to be awesome, but it will be confronting. Let's be real about that. And as I was praying into this band, you can come on out. As I was praying into this, I'm like, God, what do you want to say at the end here? And you know, it's changed a few times. But what I feel like he's absolutely saying is he's leaving us today with an invitation that has a choice. An invitation that has a choice. We can choose to join in and just jump in and be in there and follow Jesus because that's where he's at. If you're online, this is you too. You can choose to lean in to the new thing that God is doing rather than standing back in the crowd waiting to see if it's actually legit. Or maybe being too confronted that we're just not quite willing to lay down. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au 